Scouts. Loving, loving the Australians in the front row. Um, anyway, I am very excited because um, I have to say I am still married, uh, which is, yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, still talking. Still talking. Yeah, pass the candle, back candle. Of course, it's not my first. It's not my, well, my first was obviously with my driving instructor when I was 17, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk about that. Did you pass? The settlement was adequate. No, my first marriage was uh, when I was 39. And, um, <laughs> quite a lot of pressure from my parents to get married. In the end, actually, it's true, they advertised uh, several times on my behalf in the Filipino Times, and, um, <laughs> and we tried to make it work. We actually went to Relate. I don't know if anyone here goes to Relate. It's probably one in Regent Street tucked away somewhere, cul-de-sac. Um, they're brilliant, because they see anyone. Um, in fact, you don't even need a partner nowadays. You just <laughs> turn up on the radio. They lend you one at the door. And, um, anyway, our council was brilliant. She sat down and she said, um, what do you like about each other? Um, she, said, uh, she said, what don't you like? Well, we only had an hour. Um, managed to slip in a few minor points about dress sense, personal hygiene, friends, family. Obviously, I had to wait for the following week before I could open my more fully. Um, he said things like, you know, I'd like to make love with you really badly, and I simply just have. <laughs> anyway, in the end, she suggested that we go for a trial separation, and you know what? It went so well. <laughs> it was a trial that we decided to go full steam ahead and go for a fully blown estrangement. So at least we ended on a high. Um, so to celebrate, I went to my best friend's divorce party. Um, she threw a few paper, that kind of thing. And um, they suggested I go on the internet because it's instant then, isn't it? You get instantly disillusioned as opposed to two months. Anyway, our match gets a date at the summer exhibition. Um, got in cheap because it was winter and they were refurbishing. And uh, a couple of days later, the phone rang. This voice said, um, how would you like to come to Paris for a dirty weekend? Then there was a silence. And the voice said, I'm sorry, I have a shop to you. And I said, God knows, just packing. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I just find it quite difficult to get roles. I mean, uh, some things. I, I mean, a man naked except for a pair of socks is a repellent sight. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, and it's worse when they take them off because then you get that elasticity pattern around the ankle. Um, cuts both ways, so to speak. So I remember he commented on the size of my caesarean scar. <laughs> and I had to say, no, it isn't one, it's just this slips a bit tight. <laughs> some of my old material to get us in the, in the zone. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, may I hand you back to the most wonderful I adore her, Ellen Rosler. feels a bit difficult now talking about the innocent book of life's favourite. Hands up, who's favourite? Mallory Towers. First term. Who hasn't read it? Who doesn't know the story? Okay. It's a, it's a, it's, it, the story is you go to boarding school. And of course, there is an admission here. In fact, there's a line in my new book about somebody who runs a book club who went to boarding school, and the person, because you're the only person I've met. She's been to boarding school. And um, it's, I mustn't say the joke I was going to say, but it's just, it's, you know, as a day girl. You see, I went to an all-girls school where you had to do an IQ test. If it came back negative, you got in. Um, no, it's not true, but it was a girls' public day school trust. Uh, Blackie, Blackie High School, Stretcham High. When I escaped from boarding school, I went to Birkenhead High School for girls. Oh, for girls. girls. I love the way that everyone's for girls. Did you play lacrosse? I was banned from lacrosse for being dangerous. There's a lot of of lacrosse in this thing. I will also, my boarding school tale is a little bit tragic because my mother said to me, if you're bad, you're going to go away to school. 
Okay, there's some abuse there. We should brush over that. It could get quite dark. So how? Tell me, tell me about, tell me about discovering Enoblighton. Okay, Enoblighton. There was a phase, wasn't there, when people just were very disapproving of Enoblighton, and I felt, you know, ashamed that I. But I don't. Doesn't take much to tip me. I have to say. Um, but I was thinking, oh no, because I. I mean, I did like Noel Stratfield as well. I assure you. But um, uh, this, the, there is something magical about Enid Blyton, and apparently she wrote this in three days. I know, it does maybe, feel like that. That's Wikipedia for you. But, um, yeah, uh, does it, do you think? When, oh, you, when you reread it with an adult and critical eye. Stereotypes, like they're that. all in there. There's somebody from Scotland who does this. You know, you, you just get the image immediately that she paints the pictures. Within seconds, you're in that boarding school. You see the cliff, see the pool. Dying for a midnight feast. Tuck. People say back up a lot. Love it. And um, you're, you're a brick down. Uh, yes, but what was actually quite disturbing rereading it for for tonight was that there's a bad egg, like in any well, don't we know with Lord Hoo-ha? Oh, has he resigned yet? Lord, yes, Lord Stuart. A bad resigned. egg, and Boothroyd did say he, he she should he should go out the back door, he, and I let him in the front one. But anyway, um, the thing about a, a bad apple or a bad egg or whatever, Gwendolyn. Do you remember Gwendolyn? Yeah. She is so manipulative, and she won't be. It's like um, Fatal Attraction. She won't be put down. And throughout, and, you, and it's like that pantomime thing. You go behind you, Daryl, behind you. She's going to manipulate. She's going to get you in trouble, and you did a thing. And, and uh, it's actually quite tense reading it. She's quite, she is a bad egg, actually, isn't she? Uh, and it's, and, and it's a, a really, uh, um, it's about morals. Uh, it, there's one little section where the headmistress, Miss Grayling, Tells uh, tells the group what kind of character they must be, and it's not just about academia. No, it's about being a good-hearted person who can be relied upon. Yes, and um, I felt a bit goosebumpy reading this great. It was very, it was very Mrs. Miniver that speech. I thought it was very kind of we will we will build Britain's matrons on the you know in our schools and across fields. Yes, but I think we can we can do with a bit of um, backing up. Um, and I live in East Dulwich and there's a plaque in the shop where Ina Blyton lived in a very modest flat above some shops and there was a programme I did in the time in the days when they made pilots on television in the 80s and I had to be Ina Blyton and it was really interesting and I think she had a really sad life and not good relationships with her Children, yeah, we yeah. very the kind of said that biopic wasn't it with Helena Bottom Carter? Yeah. Did anybody see it? Ah, yes, yeah. yes, and she, uh, yeah, a really tragically bad relationships with her children, yes, and maybe a bit like the Winnie the Pooh man. I mean, and myself, I mean, I had a very bad argument with my 25 year old this afternoon that we did make up uh, before I came out, but I mean, you know, creative people are outside the circle I'd like to say yeah. and that their offspring necessarily might not be so it does make for a little bit of hoo-ha in the home <laughs> well I was getting so I was going to ask you about when about about dis, about discovering yourself as a as a reader because there's a great there's a great character in this book called Miss Potts who everybody loves yes. potty she's the teacher that everybody yes. thinks is marvellous um, and I was just thinking about when you were eight years old and said you had a teacher called Miss Kemp um, and I just, uh, this is lovely thing, she, she asked you to read a story, and I just love this, I found this little piece that you've written about her, which said, uh, it was the first time in my life I felt as if I distinguished myself. So she asked, you know, she asked to write a story, and then you, she got you to read it out to the class. Um, from that point on, I had tremendous confidence. Come in, you've missed the joke, but you're so <laughs> welcome. Come in, come in, come in. Tremendous compliments. She's just walking oh, by. She might actually just be an ordinary <laughs> guest. <laughs> the cafe chairs around. Welcome, welcome. Yes. Um, yes. That I felt I had tremendous confidence in myself and my writing, and that's the greatest gift. I thought that was an absolutely marvellous thing to read. Well, that I think that was for the Times Literary Sub. Some somebody had asked me to write a piece about the teacher who most influenced, and I remember Miss Kemp because it was in the junior school. And we were doing Dylan Thomas, and we did this great big collage, and you know, learnt about alliteration and all that. And this, we were ten, or maybe that's normal now. I don't know. And um, and that's probably actually really way down the food <laughs> chain for English language for ten year olds. But anyway, and I remember at the end at this on this particular day, she asked Kate Carey, who was the brains, so brainy person, Kate Carey, not moi, and me, to read our 
bits out of our collage that we were co uh, collating a collage uh, akin to under milk wood and I well we all have those moments don't we when somebody has praised us for something that we um, felt needed praising and made us so proud and to be proud as a child and actually I then uh, got back in touch with her um, and uh, she was quite racy she drove a sports car she was probably a wow. bit like Miss Potts in those days all the women I mean they weren't married shall we put it that way they lived um, live, 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 live in a two bedroom flat with a spare room they, live, they lived with each other uh, largely and um, and had sports cars and uh, Miss Kemp was amazing yeah so the, the moral of the tale is Everybody has to have somebody like that. And I'm sure we can all come to someone, whoever they are, that have that. There's that little moment, you go, yes. I mean, I, I mean, think I think it's tremendously encouraging. You can't underestimate the power of the power of that. I think particularly because you, um, you, uh, I was reading your. You've always had the feeling that your home life was a bit different from other people's as well. And I wonder what how that contributed, how school contributed to that, or how it became a different the contrast in mm. school and home. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think I might be slightly paranoid anyway. <laughs> um, I might have a slight awareness that people are talking about me even <laughs> when they're not. Um, so there is a kind of disposition to paranoia, but I think that might have come from a background. My father came to this country, he was Czech um, refugee, had to, get, you know, had to come out, quite sort of dramatic, one of those stories, but then denied everything about that other culture because of what had happened to his family I understand you know I can understand it so my grandmother was half German half Czech and she spoke like this and she was so foreign and she would go Helen you shouldn't have when you come around with the present and you go give it to me I'll put it away now you know so we had um, we had a kind of extreme life and extreme food and people didn't have food like that in Eltham because uh, <laughs> he'd, he'd been working abroad so he'd been working in some way incredibly well, exotic hadn't he before Yes, um, Baghdad, Baghdad, and he was a civil engineer, and um, yes, had quite an interesting life. Because I wanted, so I wanted to come to come on to that actually. With we'll give out, should we give away? Who hasn't read Mallory Tower? And would seems like quite to. a few people. I think I've sold go. it. Sold it to the lady in the front row. You'll love it. I tell you what, it's a it's a joy. That is a joy. I don't know why there's a snobbish element to it. I've been, so I've been reading it to Violet, who's my daughter, who is eight, and I find I did find myself editing it a bit because it's from the meanness. It's a bit mean, girls, actually. Yeah, and, and there was a bit, a bit of a slap uh, on the original version. Um, Daryl shook the naughty girl who ducked someone else in the pool, and then in the later version, it was a slap or the other way round. I don't know which is better, shaking or slapping. <laughs> they're, they're both evil and should be stamped out. Because yes, Gwen, Gwendolyn is a girl that's had. Um, she hasn't been to school before, has she? She's had a governess, and Home she's tutored. got long hair, and she likes to brush her mm. hair. And she's got no moral fibre. No, and no, no, no backbone. No, no backbone. And I actually do she's think quite meanly. For um, I agree with you, but it's it's a cultural thing about language, though, isn't it? And I think that if at the heart of it there's a kind of sense of right and wrong, and even as an adult. You wait till you read Miss Grayling's section. Um, you know, if you if one is affected, then then yeah. that's quite powerful. So we have to see it in those terms. I well, think. I think actually that's in, it's interesting. It's about a sense of a sense of belonging, isn't it? And what that need when you're a child. And the, I mean, the boarding school is all about the collective. And I think there's a lot of uh, if in children's fiction, getting rid of the parents is the essential thing. So going to boarding school like Harry Potter is is great. But actually, the other thing is about being part of the group mm. and. That's often quite good. difficult if you're, if you're, particularly if you're a very creative child, I think, or a very readerly child. Oh, because, well, we'll get into the next book, but I did, I used to get into trouble by mistake, like not on purpose, but I just did. I had a very guilty face myself. So there we are. Did you shoplift? No. <laughs> you said it was at boarding school, wasn't there near no, any shops? No shops, nothing. I would have nothing done. worth nicking. I stole the prayer book from, from church. Well, there you go. So we all. <laughs> and then you've been outed. A rebel. But um, anyway, a lot of our hang ups of right and wrong and being accepted, uh, yeah, is reflected. Well, I was forced to find some kind of theme. Yeah, well, your favourite. So, so, who's, so your next, your second book is The Conscience of the Rich uh, by C.P. Snow, which is part of the Strangers and Brothers series. Has anybody, does anybody know? C.P. Snow is not much read now. Like, 
like Goldsworthy, actually, but I think he's really worth rediscovering. If you want a nice big family saga and you like that kind of thing, then um, a bit like Charlotte, you can start seeing Well, on rereading this, there was a phase when I was in my 20s where I read uh, the Evelyn Evelyn War, C.P. Snow, and the other one. I can't remember who the third one. Someone similar. Oh, God. Kingsley Amos, I love, but not him because he's light and fluffy. Sorry, I'm, I'm glad for your suggestion, but I have to kind of bat that back immediately. <laughs> lest, we, lest we went down Thanks. the wrong cul-de-sac. Um, no, I know her, it's fine. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, wrong so the Evelyn War, Ian Forster, Ian Forster. and C.P. Snow, and so I was going to read one of those because there was this fascination with that life, that world, and I, um, sort of 1930s, and I kind of fantasised that my, my father and my godfather worked in those, he was a civil servant and got quite cross because he didn't get knighted, and they were all very posh in English, but actually quite sort of Oxbridge, but, but not really sort of moneyed people. So, you know, a box within a box of society that interested me, but the Jewishness started in that um, in that story, it says I think somebody's in the mail. And this is my family copy. They say it's mesmeric, and it is mesmeric reading. And although that I had to put special glasses on to read it because it's weeny writing. I've um, got mine on. Yes, I got these. I had to get even stronger ones after reading all these. Um, it's it's about uh, a man who is born into an Anglo-Jewish rich family. Uh, a bit Rothschildy, aren't they? Yes, it's about the beginning of communism. It's about socialism. It's about political dissent. It's just so right for now, uh, and letting your family down and your principles and the morality of trying to be a good person and the shame that he feels of, of being Jewish. Yeah. Because so it's, it's fascinating. You've got to read it. It's really interesting. It's narrated by a, uh, a character called Lewis Elliot, who is. Who isn't Jewish? He's very, and he's not, and he's also not money. This is not establishment. He's worked, he's worked really, really hard to better himself and get yes. to Cambridge and to learn to be a lawyer. And he meets Charles March, who is the hero of the piece, I suppose. Yes. Who with the dilemma? I think with the dilemma, and they're part of the. Um, they're both being barristers, aren't they? And March comes from this incredible Rothschild family, who, although they're Jewish, what's really interesting about it, they're very. The Jewishness is not a really big plot driver. And, and I think it was written about differently, though, in those days. I mean, people were quite factual. Yeah. I don't think people were as careful about saying anything as yeah. they are now. So well, it's, it's just, it reads quite in a straightforward way, which is quite interesting. Exactly. But, so there's a great patriarch called Leonard March, who, yes. and it's really about less, about doing what your father wants you to do, isn't it? Living up to the expectation of your father, because Charles really wants to plow his own furrow. He doesn't want to be a barrister, he doesn't want to be a a politician or all these things. And the father father. didn't make it and put all his expectations on the child. So you've got this love uh, and sense of disappointment, which I don't know if you've all got older children, but, you know, I now understand what my parents must have gone through when they saw me do stuff that was disappointing. So I'm just going to lie on my couch and I'm just going to analyse you. Because I really wanted to ask you about what your relationship was like with your father, about, you know, how you live up to your... Because you, when you were in your twenties, you didn't you didn't do the conventional thing, did you? You no. kind of do, you started off um, doing being quite conventional. Then you went, I'm going to be, I'm going to go to Central School of Drama, and I'm going to be an actress. I'm going to be a comedian. But I did so. it all late, and I did it all in the wrong order. And actually, my father had died um, yeah. by the time I did it. And I, I do sometimes think, would I have done it if he'd been alive? Because you, because it's such a crazy thing looking back to do. It has no label, it has no structure. And I, I did it stand up for five years, and each year I'd go, right, one more year, just see, you know. And I, I ended up not living the dream because I don't think I've had a particularly joyful life, but I've ended up doing what I, what I think I'm probably better at doing, which is a sort of privilege, really, because I was a very bad social worker. And, um, <laughs> and I remember at the time, I was so insecure about my degree being lowbrow, and I was doing an MA to sort of try and get, like, make out I was better. And then I joined this community theatre uh, in Crouch End, or Couch End, as they sometimes call it. And, uh, and I was doing the community theatre, Dr. Faust's and Leotards. I was doing the MA, and I was a social worker, doing it all at once. And I remember my team leader called me and she said, Helen, you can either leave or 
you can leave immediately. (laughs) (laughs) And I do remember that was a very stressful, but you know, people have to work. And I remember going to bed worried and waking up worried. So then, and that happens to people in real life. Uh, And it happens to me for short periods of time, then the job's over. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, central schools, a postgraduate year, I lied to get on it. I said I was a teacher and I wasn't. Uh, obviously, and uh, in those days you could lie and sort of just sort of open the envelope and do things. And I just remember being happy for a whole year. Just imagine. Wow. I mean, a student like I was twenty-eight or something. Fantastic. So is, it, so is it hard living up to the expectations of your parents? Yes, I think so. And I think um, my mother, interestingly, who both my parents are not alive, but w- always said I should write because doing stand-up was so mentally derailing. And yet there was no choice. And people say, why do you do it? And you go, well, I think people just do what they just know they have to do to get from A to B. You don't go, oh, this is really hard. I mean, it's hard, but you don't not do it. If I'd known. And I remember the, the first radio job I did where I uh, was on at the BBC uh, Theatre in the uh, Low Regent Street, it was then. And people clapped, you know, and I came on and I went, I almost went, Oh, sorry. Um, And and because there would be a script and you'd just be in charge of somebody else's stuff and then people would laugh accordingly. And instead of going on and grabbing people within those first two seconds, uh, like the comedy store, and, um, and, you know, failing as much as... You, you know, you, you had mostly bad gigs and then some good ones. I mean, it's an extraordinary thing to do to put yourself out there like that. I mean, it's very, very, very brave. People do it more and more now. The world is so different. But I think in those days, there was probably Victoria Wood that nobody ever bothered about whether she was male or female. She sort of slipped through the net of any kind of analysis, which I don't know why. We've got some academics here. They could be, I would like to know how that happened. Uh, she was never asked to justify what's it like being a woman and funny. Um, but I just started writing and performing because that's what I was doing as a child and then I had to be feminist afterwards but, and another feminist, Jenny Lacote had a song with a guitar and she uh, said, your will is boiling in the kitchen, that was as feminist as she went and then uh, <laughs> wow, power to you lady and, um, and then actually said that because women were very competitive and the market forces were such that we were fighting for the same jobs there was no love or sisterhood so women, at all. So women were competing with each other. Killing each other. And uh, she said I was vulnerable. So that was kind of on stage. Vulnerable, I go, it is not vulnerable to write your own material and do it. I've got over it now, obviously. Um, and, uh, but I think it's quite interesting having a canvas of women that were fighting each other. I don't think that's the case now, perhaps. Yeah, no, I, would, I, think, I think that's changed. that's changed quite a lot. But I do, yeah. but I do really remember that because yeah. you because to fight against a man for a job felt very a bit impossible. You know, you might be able to elbow a woman out the way. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and we we did try to do all those. People would rip off your material, and yeah, it was harsh. It does, it does sound quite harsh. <laughs> it's hard. I want to come on and talk a little bit about that experience of uh, of acting and stand up and the those boundaries between fantasy and reality in a minute. But I want to quickly, if we can, go back to the. Conscious of the rich, because oh. I just want to ask you. Your, so you describe your father as more English than than English, but he was he was an emigrant that escaped from uh, from Czechoslovakia in nineteen thirty eight, mm-hmm. didn't he? And then yeah. he left his family behind. Well, they sent him out first because people. It wasn't quite the same as the lovely man who's just died, Nicholas, who did the Kinders transport. But there was some, they knew somebody else like him, so he came with two other boys. And then they went to school in Margate, and he didn't speak any English, so he just, you know, just kind of quite extraordinary, uh, if you can imagine, so quite lonely. But but with that spirit to prove yourself, you just put it all behind you, and you just get out there and you do it. And I think, I kind of maybe think I understand that spirit. Um, And then the uh, the rest of the family came out later, so he they sent him out first. But there was a program on Channel Five called um, we talking, "Who Do um, War Hero in Your Family," and it was a bit like "Who Do You Think You Are?" We were talking about that earlier, um, but for Channel Five, so it had to be more lowbrow. So they had to have um, two stories at once to keep the audience attention. Um, so my my episode had to be juxtaposed with Paddy Ashtown. So, <laughs> 
quite surreal. So you'd have Paddy Ashton looking at a war a memorial. His father was probably in the navy or something. DSO. And then I shouldn't laugh because I would never have gone. I mean, don't get me wrong. I would never have gone to Auschwitz. I would never have chosen to go. It's not my thing. But then there's like me doing that, and uh, if for you to qualify for this program, they had to research it and find out that you did have a hero. So it kind of worked backwards. You've got a hero. So um, in your family, otherwise we're not filming you. And so so I found out all these things that I didn't know. So they it was very dramatic. They found me a cousin of my father who was alive. Can you imagine? Still, and they, that was all on film. And I think this could be so gruesome. So gruesome. I mean, but anyway, it, w it was fine. Just mm. kind of kept it together. Had to meet him, and that was bizarre. And and then also found out my they called him Big Bubba um, was a spy. My mother was in Bletchley, so she was a spy. I like to call, but she probably wasn't. She just was in Bletchley, probably cleaning. I don't know what she did. <laughs> and then um, official secrets out. Just polishing those the codes. Um, and um, and so Big Bubba was in this place where they put the posh uh, prisoners of war and they it was a bit like they would actually have microphones in the plants <laughs> and it's just amazing and so he'd be down in the cellar uh, translating all the German and also trying to get people to ask questions so that they could use the intelligence he got medals for it I, we didn't know because they don't speak about it yeah just no, exactly nobody that generation knew. doesn't no doesn't and my talk. mother wouldn't talk about Bletchley it's all Interesting, isn't it? So that's why I love all these books. Yeah. So, do you want to? This, your, this is. Oh yes. This is a very beautiful edition that Helen has has found to give all, to give this away. This is beautiful. So. It's worth oh, a lot of money. Sure. You put your hand up first. Oh. The I can't get off. I might no, no. embarrass myself. <laughs> so, congratulations. I, I'm sorry I couldn't give it to anyone. Maybe you can share it. It's the yeah. modern trend to buy books between two now. I've noticed. Oh, yeah. Well, I've noticed that my signing is between four. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got one each, and I've got. I think I've got the signing pen somewhere. Good. If we haven't, somebody's going to have to look at you've got it. You'll love it. <laughs> but actually, yeah, uh, there's a, um, I found this lovely, lovely quotation from you. It says, growing up amongst emigres shaped me. My parents told me nothing bad lasts forever. Something good is always around the corner. Mm. In the meantime, you just have to survive. Mm. And I wondered if that was your, a kind of a motto, I suppose. It's a motto for everybody's life, isn't it? <laughs> it is. I think it is because, especially if you're freelance and you, um, <laughs> you really have to survive. You do, and you just, and it can get really bad. And my mother always used to say something always turns up, and she was right, it does. So you just have to believe that, and it has to get really horribly, disgustingly, awfully worrying, in order for you to go, wow, I'm just loving, like I'm loving this moment, and you can look back and appreciate. The good bits. But I love that about losing it actually because Millie, the main character, is which you'll be reading, which you'll be reading, is massively on her uppers, isn't she? I mean, she's really got it. She needs a job, really. She's really broke. She's uh, she needs a job really badly. She yes. needs twenty grand to get out of her she's some, fat, the hands basically. of some. And so she's offered to trial a slimming pill, a herbal. A bit for a magazine. Uh, uh, for a magazine, yes, Tatler. Um, uh, any any slimming pills down there at Tatler? <laughs> it was a, a very simple story, but I, but obviously it was about we're talking about mother and daughter and um, uh, having the desire to have desire, um, which I think is quite an interesting one. And I coined the term midlit. Midlit's great to brand it. Uh, so people would buy it. So it's not chiclet, where people live in flats in Shagalot. It's um, <laughs> it's midlit, where people still have their own veneers. Yeah. And nice cut. And uh, yes, nice cut. And patterns. feng shui. Yes. <laughs> you had your house feng shui. I did have the house feng shui. Did everything. God, can't take any risks, can you? <laughs> oh, I want it done now. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure I've got something awkward happening yeah. in some zone or other. I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> can you shake a smudge, yes, smudge, smudge it with stick. some, yeah, some sage done. thing? Uh, so, tell me about why you've chosen the Magus. Okay, John Fowles. Who's, has anybody read it? Okay, we've got the scholars in. Anybody it. know it? Who doesn't know it at all? Okay, good. I'm glad. Um, because this, ladies and gentlemen, is 500 pages. Now, I did take time aside to read it all, but I left this one to last. All I can say is when I read the Magus the first time, I think I was, I think I was in my 20s and I was in Paris and I was really self-conscious. I didn't have a boyfriend and I got picked up outside the Georges Pompidou Centre. Quite glamorous, actually. Yeah, By somebody asked man. me for a light, 
And um, in those days, anyway, I can speak freely, it's, the door's closed. Um, but in those days, this is what you did. I was an adventurous person. Mm. And I just, that's never happened before or since. But just the memory of being in a cafe in Paris, reading my John Fowles, which was erotic and adventurous and magic and taking is just going have an adventure you can almost think yourself into having an adventure especially when you're young i think that's why i'm so cross with my 25 year old because that is what she's doing she's enjoying herself <laughs> <laughs> i thought millennials were supposed to be really sensible and and do work and things like who, that and who, earn money who are millennials you know the twen- they're under 20 are millennials under 25 something like that oh uh, i don't know yeah. see i'm not the young people i think she should She's been to university, she's done everything. What's she doing with these festivals? Anyway. <laughs> um, but this, um, this time was about longing and wanting something. And my imagination is, because I don't have any boundaries with people, it can be a bit scary if you don't know me, and uh, just kind of go out there. And um, I, I just wanted something to happen to me. And, and I willed it, and I did. And I did. had a bit of a pash thing. So he turned into something more interesting. No, than just a we cigarette. just had the one night together. That's it. Um, but um, that was that was quite wonderful in itself. I- exactly. But you know, um, interestingly, so, Woody. Can I do my Woody Allen oh, quote? Yes. Because I did this, and uh, Woody Allen said one of his regrets in, in life was seeing the film. Of, of well, it has rather disappointingly got Badly Michael Caine as the as the hero, which. If anybody's read it, it's quite an odd choice. I love Michael Caine, but it's quite an odd choice. Quite chunky. He is quite chunky. And he's saying Nicholas, Nicholas Earth is a, it's quite fey, isn't he? He's very intelligent. He's a bit of a bad boy. He's, he's quite troubled. He's a poet. He's been to university. It says very early. It's very, very easy to read. I mean, okay, there's 500 pages, and I ran out of time to reread it's it. It's disturbing it's a, read. It becomes disturbing. I'd stopped when it became disturbing. But at the beginning, it's kind of like, again, one of these... Is it fifties? You know, um, or sixty-four? It's set in the fifties, isn't it? I think. So that again, it's just so delicious thinking about what was going on in society. What were the values? And it was there was a party, and there he was, and then he went and got off with her, and you just had this sort of swinging London idea um, of life, which I find I quite romantic. And he said how many women he'd slept with, a bit like Nick yeah, Clay. He's quite a Nick player. Clay was, <laughs> <laughs> Nick Clay was forty, I believe. Not that I was listening. Um, <laughs> But, but just quite interesting sort of observation of life and, and he um, answers his advert um, uh, to go to Greece. He's, he's longing um, for adventure, isn't he? I he's think that's he's the... an adventurer and I think, I don't know if I am, maybe I am more latterly now, I will be with this, you know, taking this book around the country is a bit of an adventure, but... It's a bit tame, actually. I hope I just like a night to what happened in the maker. Sorry, you can scratch that from your iPod business. Um, so um, I, I, I sort of skipped Reddit, and then I suddenly saw the word syphilis, and I thought, how could I miss that? Oh, it just oh, jumped yes. out oh, at yes. me. So talk me through that. that. Um, wasn't well, explained. when he goes, to, so he goes to the Greek, goes to the Greek island to become a schoolmaster. He doesn't really want to be a schoolmaster. He wants to be a poet, and he has this quite, quite kind of tragic thing early on when he's in Greece, where he rips off all his poems and he, d- he kind of goes off into some kind of suicidal <laughs> fugue a very bit kind of quite kind of 20 mm. something angst mm, actually mm. it's quite inco- it's quite I'm a self-conscious person so i'm at home with that <laughs> yeah <laughs> i remember that yeah. too yeah and he and he and he decides he's, an, he's not a good poet after all he can't live up to his his vision of, of him being a creative person is not he's not able to realize it on paper and i think that is a constant creative struggle isn't oh. it how you feel on the inside, yeah. and then how you are, you you know, is the, I mean, is that yeah. something that I mean, is that a creative? Yes, um, uh, I think you can just loathe yourself completely, and also when you're writing, I don't know about the other writers in the room, but you've got a voice. You can, uh, or even when I'm doing stand up, which I don't do unless it's to nice people, um, but you know, you've, you're working on two levels. You've got a voice up there saying that person's looked at their watch, they don't like me, shit. And then you're coming up with a punchline or somebody walks in late or whatever, or somebody's asleep, and that's fine. And you just have to kind of pull it all together and and it's quite and dislike yourself at the same time. But is it I mean is it a is it a helpful in some ways a helpful driving force, that yeah. kind of constant Anger. inside criticism? Anger is better for comedy. I think it's quite helpful to be angry because um it, it it's a good it gets you out there. 
and uh, as long as you're only angry with people who like you quite a lot, <laughs> it can go wrong if you say what you mean in your head to the wrong people. But I think with cigarette, you know, if you just can Yes, yeah, see, ang anger, I kind of mean in an intellectual way. Mm. Mm. Um, but I'm um, not quite sure what that means. But um, not, in a, not in a punchy way. No, so, but you really liked this, didn't you? The I did. Like, so, so what? So anyway, so what? What? What happened? So he's he's in this kind of blue funk, really, about himself and his life, and he's left this girl behind, and he doesn't know who he is. He's very creative. He's been told not to go to this place called. Uh, is it called Salon de Tente? The kind of waiting room in French. Salle de Tente. Oh, yeah. Oh, there's a whole French passage in French which Thank annoyed you. me, by the way. Oh, there's yeah. a whole page with just French, and I thought, I'm sorry, it's in small print as he's well. Not, I know, he's not unpretentious, actually. I kept okay. looking... I had a bit of internet connection on whilst we do a holiday. Yeah. And, and on Kindle, it looked it up for you. It was a miracle. Really? A miracle but what is the dispute about it? Because I was talking to my friend there, and I think some people have said it is quite pretentious, but I think it's very well written. But I, I think it's incredibly beautifully written. I think yeah. the pretentiousness is because he doesn't trouble to, I mean, to, to translate to French. And actually, if you read books from the 50s and before, yeah. there's, I don't know whether there was an expectation that people were better at languages, that you, know, you would know Greek and French. And, and they would try and more. And, and a 500-page book for ordinary people, not academics. You know, for me, it was too steep, uh, too much for me but right now. So, he's, so he's, um, he's been warned off this place, and he finds uh, the... You know the, the Magus really, who is uh, a deeply glamorous person called uh, Maurice Conchis, who it's rumoured in the village has is either been a war criminal or uh, he was a collaborator or that kind of very difficult past that the you know the recent past actually with the, the Greeks the German occupation of the uh, Greeks, but he goes off and he of course is drawn to this you know as if by magic he's got to go there. Um, and he's drawn into this kind of um, very deeply disturbing psychological world where uh, Maurice is always putting on tableau and plays and that boundary between reality and fantasy. Mm. Um, and it's, it's mm. very disturbing for him. He's forced to work out who, who he is. So it's very dislocating. I, do I don't you know, who is the, do the you know was, it, was, there, was there fantasy there? Because that's a debate. Well, I think or was it just enacted? Because that's what people do nowadays. They dress up in masks. And yeah, I think it's put. Well, I think I I read it quite literally that it's put. He puts on these kind of very sophisticated, very wealthy guy. He puts on these very sophisticated. He's got actors that mm. live with him, and I think he is enacting it. So, mm. but it's not. He thinks it's scenes from uh, Maurice's past. So you get this episode where you're reenacting the. The tragedy, or the kind of the denouement of the uh, the Nazi, you know, collaboration it's, thing. It's so powerful. It's really, Real really evil. powerful. But I kind of wanted to say what. But so what, all the time I was thinking about it. I'm sorry, I've given you a massive kind of like you know. I hope somebody about, puts their hand up for this one. Okay, I'm going to it But it's so he's a min, you know, he's an incredibly mysterious, manipulative character who is endlessly about reenacting. Uh, deceptions, but quite, um, I mean, quite mis mischievously and malevolently. So there's no real reason. I mean, if you're Nicholas Earp, you'd be thinking, what have I done to deserve this kind of vortex? Of mm. And actually, it's not really about that. He's just messing with them, really. Yeah. And, and, that's, and that's kind of the point of the book. People, you get messed with in your life. And it's, so it's, a, it's a long book, but very well written and magical. So if you have like a month's holiday, I think this would yeah. be your book. It is deeply magical. But yeah. what, so so, I'm, so apologies for the you know, for kind of long explanation about it. Because what I really wanted to ask you is what you when you about your when you when you start acting, how is that process? When you know how does the the uh, boundary between reality and fantasy blur? I don't know. I think I was in Hollyoaks just recently. I don't know if anybody watches Hollyoaks. Possibly not. Um, but they just said, come along and do it for three months. Now, I had to play an alcoholic midwife. Um, that was my character. And then you just go, well, I'm just going to do it and not think about it. So that... So unconsciously, I think it is unconscious. Um, but here's the thing: I think it, it's a two-way thing because the audience will make a perception about someone. Like I was been in in the early I've been in Casualty, um, Lenny Henry. You go when I was in Casualty, I was known in the eighties, and they go, "Oh my God!" You know, like it, it was like Lenny Henry being on a on a stretcher in those days because people probably before he did Othello perhaps would go, "Oh no, we can't have Lenny Henry being a jobbing actor because we know him." rationally we've seen him rationally uh, construct another ca character but of course actors construct endless characters all the time so that is their job so I think um, 
I always acted anyway, even at school. And there is a kind of, although I get very nervous, like if I have a, for stand-up, I have a, a vein in the neck that tends, to, I think people will be thinking I'm going to explode. And I'm very conscious <laughs> of the vein that goes up. But then you just go, if you're acting, it's actually more restful because you just envelop this thing and then you just know you have to do it. And there's no question about, I mean, the audience will react differently every night. Uh, whereas if it's stand-up, you're responsible for it. Or you've, although, although you've always created, even stand that you've always created characters, haven't you? I'm thinking of the girl at the, the Sloan Ranger at the um, Yeah, sadly, character. that was me. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I put paid to your theory there. Um, <laughs> Naked Video was a, a comedy sketch show uh, in, in Glasgow and um, probably got that job because I was, one of, I was doing stand-up and making it up. That was before Bridget mm. Jones, so it's a precursor to Bridget Jones. And I think all these things just reflect what was going on because I think Jennifer Saunders has mm. ideas that I would like to think I had and she just gets there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so the thing is we react, don't we, to the zeitgeist, to our influence and if you've got a language and, and you've got the platform, which of course, you know, that's key, not necessarily, I mean, they're wonderful, I was going to say generally it's not to do with talent, it's getting the platform and then you just reflect what's going on in, in the society. So a woman with a file of facts on her own who was a bit educated, reflected the times. Um, and there were jokes in it as well. Um, whereas I don't think there was such a character before. So it was yeah. just like, just lucky to be around to get jobs where you were able to reflect something. I look back and I can't believe I did it all. Because when you're doing it and you're young, you just you just worry. I just go home and worry. Mind you, I was taking slimming pills then. Um, <laughs> so you worried very, very fast. I worried and just uh, walked past a delicatessen on the way back from BBC television up there and they had those Japanese crackers and they were very new in, in, in well, I say England, it was Glasgow and I just had lift off Japanese crackers and wine. Well, uh, Did all right. <laughs> Look at me now. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of that, we should move on to the girls of Slender Meetings. Yes, meeting. what a wonderful segue. Oh my um, God. And you, I'm going to, you, oh, you have Now, the, who would like, this is a, qu oh, you yeah, see, there you go. You're it is try. really, it is really, really, really wonderful. And then lend it to your friend after. Yeah. Pass it, but we should be a book group. We Read it out loud. I think that's an amazing book, seriously. And I'm sorry that I didn't reread all 525 pages. I think we. I read the books that nobody else has to. That's the. And you have. The reason you've chosen them is because you've you've read them. They're your favourite. You know your special books. And it's about a special time. If you give it your all, you will get something from it. I promise you. Yeah. And it does that. I mean, I completely know what you mean about that moment where you. You're on the edge of an adventure, and yeah. that's absolutely your best. And then you can make you. things happen, you see. If you Whether read that, yeah, you can. Really. You can make it, but you can draw things in. Mm -mm. So, girls of slender means Muriel Spark. Oh my God! Hands up who loves Muriel Spark, please. To, oh, two hands. Yeah. See, well, my friend, you, you not put the hand up. She's scowling. How can anyone not like Muriel Spark? The one in front. She Muriel, should be a set text. Oh, and it's a it's a novella. It's slim. You can just read it in a trice. <laughs> Girls are slender means in a slender volume. The, the language, what I, if, if I was advising anyone about writing humour or wit, um, Muriel Spark is objective, quite cold, very dry, great dialogue, and you find it, and she doesn't show it. And to me, I mean, I'm, that would be my ambition... As she's, a writer, I'm not. I, that, that's what I reach towards. I just love the opening, the opening line. Yes, you long ago in 1945, all the nice people in England were poor, allowing for exceptions. <laughs> <laughs> yes. You know, it's like that. And again, it's a beautiful. It's set in again going back to this this post-war, just freshly post-war uh, time where. There was no money, but people were having sex a lot. And in fact, they probably weren't that dissimilar to now. And I think my parents behaved very similarly to me uh, as well. I think people had partners. It wasn't, not everybody did, but it's, it, you know, it so went kind on. Of the, well, I suppose if, if you're, you know, the war, the war makes you feel that life is precious and life is short and you need yeah. to seize, your, seize the day. So yeah, so the, the morality was completely different. And then there was a one beautiful, one girl owned this beautiful dress, dress, which I wouldn't be able to pronounce well done. And then, and there's a fire and a, um, a well, I know we mustn't say it because it's too small. I wouldn't spoil it. But Spoilers. anyway, there is the value of the, somebody, you say, what if there was a fire, what would you save? 
and this, this dress, this dress, this dress. You risk your life for a dress. It's a kind of it's a it's called the Mary of Tech, isn't it? It's a it's a, a hostel for genteel ladies who are kind of. I suppose distressed gentlefolk. I mean, kind but of they're not there. rich, and again, it's just they're all characters, they're all personalities rubbing along together. And um, yes, there's a plot within it, um, but the characters and the, I, I think it's the very literary of, one, isn't they? Who who needs to feed her? She's always eating. She needs to feed her. She's always taking people's ration because she's doing um, intellectual work or something. Yes, <laughs> the um, it's quite tragic. It's quite cold. I mean, th- I like her coldness. Um, Anyway, I, I think Muriel Spark has to be read and reread. It, it just gives you new new things every time. So what? So when did you when did you discover her? What were you doing when you read when you when you read this? So I think I, I so I'm now in my thirties. I think um, yes, I think I'm in my thirties. Not long ago, <laughs> she said, um, and yeah, I would have read that. There's the driving seat. There's I get a bit obsessed and then you just read all of it. Mm. But it was lovely to... That has last. I think people need to have that as text. It's, she's very... She's a, she's a really... If you're thinking about funny... I mean, a funny... We've been talking a lot over the last few months about funny writing and about women writing. I mean, not very many women are allowed to be funny in print. It's quite an odd quite an odd thing but she's she's got a very spiky very spiky very quite spiteful harsh humor she's not she's very even-handed it's kind of an omniscient narrating voice isn't there she yeah. kind of manipulates her characters yeah and they're all you know this was one uh vicar's daughter joanna who's um she's giving elocution lessons which they're all trying to do these little jobs to survive but she gives elocution lessons by reading the wreck of the Deutschland. <laughs> but, uh, but it's all—it's all announced. Um, there's a, you imagine as she writes, she's being rather amused by it herself. So I think you're you're brought in, but it's still quite a sort of distant. I mean, well, she, she's voice. so she conver- I mean, she also she converted to Catholicism. I mean, Evelyn War is a great is a great great fan of hers. He describes her as a, you know she's an, incredible, an elegant and clever um, writer. I think he later describes her as quite a cold. That's yeah, cold is good. Cold you don't want to get emotional, not as if you're a woman <laughs> gets quite, in the way. It's quite kind of like um, like she's Miss Prime Miss Jean Brodie is the Muriel Spark that you probably know know best. Um, but it's quite you know it's kind of there's people who are fat but intellectually glamorous. <laughs> yeah, and then there was one thing where somebody said, oh something, I'm preggers, um, and uh, <laughs> it wasn't the biggest disaster either. I mean these things happen. It's just quite factual, almost like farming. Yeah. You could <laughs> it, just, it, it, it takes the emotion out of things. It's, I like it. It's witty. So what, so what, were, you, what were you doing in your thirties that then uh, that then this? I think I was. To? I can't remember because I might have lied. It might have been when I was twenty-five. So I'm not sure because could any of us locate what age? But I can't remember. I, I, I everything merges. There was a time when I read loads when I was in, when I was kind of going to black and white films and stuff. And smoke hash just what, in a pipe on the top of a bus. Um, um, but um, racy, I know. <laughs> what would Muriel Spark make of that? Um, but and then then life got the, the social work thing, and then the stand-up thing, where it was really crazy. And I don't think I read much then. Because she's a, she's um, she's confessed to Catholicism. That's what I was going to say. It's quite. It's all about retribution. And so I'm, I'm not going to poke at that too hard, but I kind of the feeling of that if you're not good, you need to be punished. Right, okay. So right. did you I want to say anything about that? Or should we move I, on have, I think one? we should move on to the next one, so it's quite, it's quite it's a bit deep, that, isn't it? Yeah. You go, you can, um, yeah. Who oh, would you like to bestow your oh, favourite no, book on? this is lovely. Okay, there. We're in the orange, because it's bright, bright and lovely, and I have to sit here. We've gone that side next. Thank, Thank you. you. I hope you enjoy it. And it's I'm nice and small, you see. You. Not that I'm saying anything about you. Yeah. I do, but yeah. I'm kind of unforgivingly steely. It's great. You can read that in an afternoon. And you should. And regularly. Most afternoons. On a Wednesday afternoon. Yeah. Um, so let's talk oh, about yeah. Portnoy's Complaint. Who's read it? Yeah, so good. Yeah. If you haven't Portnoy's read it, you will, you'll know it because it was a great... I think it's 40... Sarah, is it 46 years this year, 45 years, something like that? Written and maybe and this only six, so it might be 50 years since it's, been, since it's um, published. There is no other book like this book. And I think, again, I think there was, I know it's not by the same author. Who wrote Lolita? I should know. Nabokov. Okay, so I put Lolita and that in the same category. Yeah. Um, because you know it's rude. 
um, and you just want it in a book. It's like my parents on their G-Plan furniture, they actually had the Kama Sutra on their bookshelf, um, and also the Naked Ape. And uh, by Desmond Morris. Oh, I read that. It was very yes. illuminating, I thought. Well, just as it would fall open at the same page <laughs> and the pages would be yellowed. Um, so, so I don't know what from, just age. Anyway, let's move on. So um, Portnoy's complaint um, is, uh, you kind of get the point, that it is a diatribe. It's a fantastically beautifully written, really clever, angry comment about society, but... I mean, you're clever than me, so I don't quite... There's a bit on the Freud bit. I, I'm going to write that. I, that I, I put that yeah, on my website. But um, basically, um, uh, he, he is so rude. He is... I mean, he uses the C and then the word T at the end and some letters in between quite a lot. Um, and, and basically, there's a Freudian paper that talks about a slight incestuous thing... Um, because his, when he wouldn't eat, this is when he talks to his psychiatrist, the mother would have a knife. She thought, the, again, Jewish. Yeah, like, it's so kind of, Jewish. It's the archetypal the, Jewish mother, isn't the it? The rhythm in this, the rhythm in the writing, you've just got to read it for the rhythm. It's it's beautiful. You just, it just, you could read it out loud and it just goes. It's just rhythm. That's how, that's a knife how it, to make him eat. She, it, she thought it was normal. <laughs> you're not eating, I'm standing here with a knife. And you will eat what are you going to do? Knife. Can't bite your nose. And none of the friends thought out. it was odd. They, he said, what can I do? He's not eating. Put the knife in the... And nobody <laughs> said, maybe you shouldn't have. It's not so good to have the knife. Um, and, then, um, and then he wouldn't go in a synagogue. And he was wearing... Um, I, there was one line, I think I've nicked it for the next but he was wearing mo- moccasins. He said, what are you, a red Indian? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, so he didn't believe in God. He didn't believe in that God. But he's a kind of very atheist. He's still, it's like one enormous piece of stand-up, actually. That's how it, it, is. it reads. It's, but it's he's beautiful. Alexander Portnoy's talking to his psychiatrist, isn't he? So it's all that stuff about... You don't wear that but it, can we use the word masturbation? Yes, yeah, just it's all about that. <laughs> and so it is about that obsessional activity his self-loathing his need to do it even in sorry to offend chocolate puddings at one point and also can i there's a quote in it if anybody feeling it's anybody bad about swearing i'm going to use it well god I've now you know the worst thing i have ever done i can't obviously do a new york you know new york jewish mm. accent i fucked my own family's dinner so he did yes. live that out of in bridge. isolation that's a bit harsh um, <laughs> but, um, but no, we're laughing because we've read it. Um, um, but the thing is, it's it, it's also about society and anger. And he goes to the um, uh, ends up with a posh girlfriend and goes to this posh. Well, what do you call them? Wasp people? Oh yeah, quite wasp. And then he's thanking the she furniture. The monkey. He's thanking the serviette. He's thanking. <laughs> yeah. Somebody says, "Good morning." The man wants me to have a morning that's good. Yes, good morning. Yeah. It's like, um, it's just, there's so many beautiful passages. It's not, it, you know, it, you've just got to take it all and then, and, and see the depth of it. Yeah. So why, so tell me why you've taken, I mean, why? Because it was rude. I think it was rude and it was liberating. And, um, you know, it's like you've discovered something that somebody else is telling you about a world that, you want to know about you want to be there god a grown-up has written this come on you know and it's and just great to seek out anger and rudeness but that has some intelligence behind it and some coherence dare i say have senses as that (laughs) oh coherence good word but um you gotta read it and is it, so? And, and, are, and do you, you like do you like to look after people? Is there a Jewish mother in you? Are you going to stand over your daughter with a not knife? with a knife? But <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so are you green happy? Juice, what's wrong with green juice? Are you happy? I said today. Are you happy? I could hear it coming out. <laughs> um, dear oh dear, there is anyone go. happy? So this side, I'm you, you, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not. I maybe maybe can do. See if you recognise. You'll enjoy that. I I mean, I'm not. Email you after. I have to say, my mother came from the Isle of Wight and (laughs) extremely shy English woman. Um, But I have the mix. Uh, Maybe not all. You know, the mix. But if you want a book about a lost, driven mother, addicted Jewish, you'll love it. Isn't anything better? No, it's there's nothing else like it. It's a unique book. Unique. What we got and he says, let's put the id back in here. About, is quick. it time for bed? Are people still going? <laughs> is it, are we okay, time-wise? Are we all, are we all, are we all still interested yeah. in happy? I mean, I'm like, I hope we're not being dull. Just say, and we can all go out and have a drink. <laughs> we, just talk, we can talk about books if you get 
No, I didn't know the time. Um, so the penultimate <gasps> book, yes. Start of the oh, Ten. Oh my God, who's read it? Oh my God, so more people. Seen the this is in the film. Oh, the okay. Or read one day. It's disappointing yeah, if you've read the book. Yes. Oh my God. Okay, so my, can I do my favourite thing and start yes, of the Ten? Yes. Because you know we're talking about comedy and we're talking about that which makes you laugh. We're talking about, I had to do a thing for Radio 4 and they haven't put it out yet and I'm trying not to take that personally. They said, we're just delaying, it's not on that transmission. But the brief was for this, uh, this programme called Open Book where I had to write what was laugh out loud on the written word. What, uh, you know, what, what makes the person read that and then do the sneeze, which is a bit like a mini orgasm actually because it's involuntary, it's an impulse. So you have to go, so what does is, <laughs> what is our brain doing to connect with those words in that order at that moment with that recognition and that rhythm to make you laugh out loud? And my, I just think it's really difficult. And there are many explanations that are all different. It's all taste and background, God knows what. Anyway, start for 10. Okay. It's snortingly funny. Has got laugh out loud. My favourite one, and it's got to have an element of surprise and it's got to have an element of recognition. So my favourite uh, passage there was... Um, you know, uh, it's very well written. It's against himself. Obviously, it's a what do you call it? Writer Roman passage. One yeah. of these, you know, the coming of age. Um, coming of age. Th- he's at university, isn't he? He's, he's at university. Brian Jackson, and is and he wants to be in university. But anyway, so he gets to stay with the posh girlfriend who live at, and in some Sissinghurst or somewhere like that. They're vegans or something. They're kind of they've got funny eating habits. Some some co- it's called a cottage, but obviously it's a mansion. That's that's what you do just to throw people off the scent. Ta- be modest and rich. Oh yes, Tatler. They will know all about that. Tatler will give us their exposition and be far better than mine. But anyway, so the chap goes there and he stays the night with her, and then in the morning. He's down there for breakfast and trying to kind of be cool with the girlfriend. And then the fa- and the father comes downstairs. I, I, you need to read it. I'm spoiling it anyway. The thing is, he's naked. And that's it. And so he's going, hi, hi. And then the guy said, so and so he said nakedly. And and it just go, what would you do? What would you do? Just saying, so you go, fine. The, the, parent, the parent of the person I going out with is naked and I'm just communicating it's all normal and then there's another passage when because she makes him smoke some hash he gets absolutely stoned out of control so he goes down and the mother his working class mother has packed him some turkey in some foil because he's going away for a long journey and obviously that's what you do no bread no bread so he goes down to find the bread because he's like parched and hungry oh, and if I knew me had to they're weird vegans so, oh that's right they're all vegans that's, that's a very essential point so then you're in the fridge in the kitchen the mother comes down because she's full of naked as well and, and she doesn't see him so he's like stoned eating his turkey out of the foil and then I think there was a line where he could actually then when she was, she actually put a tea towel over him and he could see the word Sissinghurst in, in the tea towel just kind of epitomised the whole thing I mean you have to read it but it's just like being found out being on the outside um the middle class parents he he was a TV producer how dare he be you know yeah it's, it's brilliant 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 on class isn't it because Brian Jackson the hero is very He's, he's working class. His dad's dead, isn't he? And his mum, his mum's quite likes a few shandies with Uncle. She gets Uncle off. Or something. She's got to have a life, as she told yeah. him. So, <laughs> sits there with Uncle Ted, or whatever he's from next door, smoking yeah. cigarettes. She gets and, um, with him halfway through. Um, and, and there are two guys. He's made himself good, hasn't he? Because he's gone to university, so he's bettering himself. There's all that, but the the beauty of the book is how he, the world is seen through his eyes. But also, he's against himself and it, it, and like his toss up lines and and there's good and bad people in it and there's morality in it. And he treats his friend badly, then he realizes and they come good. So there's actually quite a lot. It's quite a sort of simple. It's a bit like Enid Blyton, but we gags. Yeah, it's brilliant. <laughs> it's, it's completely brilliant. And he loves and he loves Kate Bush, which is good. It's a big in mind. So who's going to have that one? You've got to choose. I can't choose now. I'm done done with choosing. There we go. Is it you? You got it. Our friend from Australia. And then the last one we're going to look at the back because that's the bit you know you give. Sorry. You can get that in the shop though. They haven't made that into a film. 
They've made it into a film. Yeah, yeah. but the you, film, you read the book, the, the film no, is. I have um, read the book, but I think I've seen the movie. Yeah, you can get it on DVD. Benedict Cumberbatch in it. No, that gorgeous man. James McAvoy. James McAvoy. No, Benedict was in it. Was he? Oh, for the University Challenge bit. Who doesn't? Who doesn't watch University Challenge? And answer all the questions that get <laughs> Well, Helen, we know that you'll be able to answer. Yeah, I was great. I'd have been, I'd have been fine on it. I'd have been in the team going, I'm sorry, you can't be part of the team because you're just not, you're just too working class. Just too working class. But um, they do do something called Celebrity MasterChef, which interests, um, no, not MasterChef, Mastermind, sorry. I've done Celebrity MasterChef. That's easy. Um, the mastermind one, I've obviously not been called. I've not, I've not been asked. I don't know why, Helen. Um, but what is interesting is they had Mylene Class or whatever her name is on, and she was like Brit Class, and she was brilliant on her specialist subject. And then, oh my God, human rubbish on general. <laughs> was she rubbish general, rubbish knowledge. On general knowledge? Oh, can you, and the awful thing is, you know when the lights on and everybody blinks, oh, and they just look mad. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. No, I'm not going for it. Uh, Strictly come dancing. I can see you on. No, I've, I've, I've been passed over. Have you done? Oh, have you, are, you, are you are you over reality shows? I'm not. I what did I do? I did come dine with me, not the couple's version, um, and that was ten years ago. And they show it on a loop, and people think I just did it yesterday. That oh, that cheesecake you don't know it was ten years ago. Let's move on. <laughs> anyway, so this book. Oh, can I, this book. Grace oh, you, Williams. You say, Helen, you say. Grace Williams says it loud, which is Emma Henderson. It's quite. It's published recently. Recently, recently. Yeah. Um, and it's your. It's your absolute. Last book, and please tell us why you've chosen it. Well, I uh, was like, uh, uh, I was a judge. Uh, I've been a judge on a lot of those things because they run out of women, so you're on a kind of loop, like a renter crowd. So I think it was called the Orange. Yes, it's the Orange. It's shortlist the Orange Prize. Okay, well done, because I've got it might be in the Costa, but anyway, it's the Baileys now, which is not a drink that some of us all adore, but we pretend because we like to go to the parties. Anyway, so uh, Grace Williams says it out loud is the kind of book that everyone should read. It's really disturbing. I reread it on Saturday, just sat there in my chair and read it, and and just felt really uncomfortable. And I don't wish that on anyone, obviously, but um, it's it's a very beautiful book. Um, about uh, through the eyes of a person who I don't know how just you would say, but from both cerebral palsy, I think really right. she's got, and then it's and it's exacerbated by polio, isn't it? Later right. On. Yes. So she has physical, extreme physical difficulties. Can't and she can't speak. speak so it's that kind of barrier of language. But yeah. But you're. But it's but she's a like being, her. and she's a person, and 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 because of the way it's written, you you are are it's again it's a bit like Portnoy just a unique construct for a book and from that and I just remember being really moved by it and you were saying when you'd read the book that somebody else had recommended I am David the oh, yeah, I just you were cried. were you pret-a-manger crying or somewhere <laughs> and I, and this is a kind of a book but then it makes you angry and it right. makes you and it's very unforgiving about the treatment and it's clever and you just want to do better. So I think sometimes books are, can inspire you to be angry. And you're talking about, I was talking about anger earlier. It's a really good emotion to, to be careful and to try and be better. And it's a really inspiring book, but mm, it's worth reading. Did, it's what really did you worth think it. I thought it was absolutely Helen? beautiful. I mean, she's a, her, the voice is really, it's really interesting. So it's very, I mean, it makes you, makes you examine what you, you know, your prejudice about, you know, in, unconscious or whatever disability. about disability yeah. and it does that really successful it's a story of a life like all really good books and it's and it's kind of touching and funny and sad and you know and, and incredibly heartrending in some places but she's a really great character and she survives and she she's got a sense of a huge sense yeah. of humour and it's and okay at it's the end it's all it does, okay you know, it does all it's <laughs> just life goes on it doesn't <laughs> you've been surviving you've been taken into this place but there it is there I it suppose, is I mean it's also about being about being trapped in a in a body and I think it is so if one if one takes it out of the you know her specific issues there is that thing about what's going on in your head that you can't express yep. so well, you see that I bet I'm sorry to interrupt but then I the light version of that same point is like with Millie the character and losing it which I hope you'll enjoy is that I I sometimes think if anybody saw what was going on in my brain 
woo, it wouldn't be good. It's a kind of dysfunctioning, like, woo quite bad, quite filthy sometimes. And um, everybody has that in them in themselves. And the joy is when you go, oh, other people have got that. And that's what, what why people laugh. Yeah, exactly. That's what causes the laugh if they recognise something. And we're not, we are not our outsides, are we? In this very kind of looks obsessed world that we live in. No, you actually, can't. we are, we be. are, our, we are our insides. And I think that's what that book says most of all, so beautifully that whatever, you know, Grace can't speak and she can't really move, and she's, you know, but she's so you would turn the page. You would, this is a page turner. Gorgeous. So who would like that? I don't know if he's sold it. Ah, yes, lovely. Go back. Right, you come and do you want to pass it back, or do you, or do you want you to come like and get pass it in a minute? This back. Thank you. I hope you enjoy it. And that, oh, I can't believe we've got to the end of your book. So, um, oh, wow, gorgeous. Have we been here for three um, hours, Helen? We, we've been. Actually, it's now. It's now. It's now Friday. So <laughs> <laughs> you get that quiet. <laughs> yeah, I just I, I turned all the clocks back. I created a whole kind of special Helen Nedder okay. world. I like being in a special Helen Nedder world. Oh, yeah. I would just like to say, I think. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. What's the story? So what happens now is if you have, uh, if you would like your copy of the book signed yeah. by Helen. Unless you've got any, que- is there any questions now or that you? We should have another drink. No, is there a situation there without all? Can I just ask one? Yes, you, what struck me about this, I haven't been to one of these before, and you were picking out like your top ten books. Have you ever been asked to do Death Desert Island Dicks? No, and I'll tell you why I wouldn't be. That's another person I've fallen out with. <laughs> um, <laughs> the woman who does it uh, used to go out with somebody I used to go out oh. with. <laughs> but not at the same time. No, good question. Not at the same time. I was there first. 